The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited to get into the Word with you. I'm trusting God for something great this morning. Uh, There's a little bit of a a pastor's nightmare. When you have a holiday fall in the middle of the week, you know, oftentimes people wonder, well, which weekend should we travel on? And a lot of people just choose both so that they don't get it wrong. So you got a handful of people out this morning. We miss them, but we're going to trust God to do something great in our lives. And I can tell you, uh, as the Word was coming that I want to share with you, it was really exciting to me personally because it's, it's meant a lot to me in my life. In fact, it's something that I saw firsthand, and I want to trust God to reveal it to us for the purpose of seeing something great come to pass in all of our lives. Uh, I want to get into the Word this morning, and as we get into the Word, if you're able to write down a few things, that's great, uh, because I know that God brings these things back to our minds, back to our hearts for the purpose of, of changing who we are individually And that's helpful for us to have some things written down as we revisit those things so that God can speak clearly to us as as individual uh, people. I want to get into the Word, and we're going to find a few things. So as as we open up the Scripture, there's a few things we're going to find. One, we're going to find out what glorifies God. What glorifies God? I mean, our lives are meant to bring Him glory. Our lives are meant to glorify His name. There's something that needs to be taking place in our lives in order to glorify God. And it goes beyond simply, uh, you know, going to church and things like that. There's something that's meant to be in our everyday living that glorifies God. Another thing that we're going to find is what we need to get out of our lives. What we need to get out of our lives. I mean, there's something that we're going to see in the Scripture that is meant to come out of each one of us, and God's very interested in in doing that at a very individual level. That means me personally. That means you personally. And collectively, us together, God is getting something out of our lives, and it needs to happen. Uh, A third thing that we're going to find is what our lives are meant to produce. Your life is meant to produce something. I mean, there's something that is supposed to be the result of your interaction with people, with your involvement in projects. Something is meant to be the result And we need to be seeing that as the result in order to be walking the way that God has called us to walk. So we're going to find that in the scripture. I want to get into this. I mentioned before we're going to find how to glorify God. How to glorify God. I want to pause before we do that, and I want to show you a a picture. There's just a a couple of pictures. I just want to show the first one, if we can get it up there. Now, when I was a, a, a younger man and my children were younger, I thought, you know, I come out of agriculture, and so I want to teach my kids how to work in the dirt. So I went into the backyard, and I began to establish the garden, okay? So that was our garden. Now, we, we, we worked hard to get the soil tilled up, and, and it took a, a lot of work to establish it, and then you began to plant things, and, and, and they grew, and you had to take care of them and water them and pull all of the weeds and all the hard work that comes with that. Now, this was the garden, and it was, it was situated nicely. It had the right amount of sunlight. It was able to grow, and it was able to, to produce and do great things. But something happened after that garden was planted, and it, it taught me a lot, and I want to share it with you this morning because it might explain some things that, that you've experienced in your life or maybe some things that you're experiencing. I mean, when I look at that, that looks like a pretty healthy garden. You know, I mean... 
that thing's ready to produce. You can just see that the plants are thriving, they're doing well, they have everything they need, and there's going to be an abundant harvest. I mean, that's going to be fruitful. It's going to produce. Well, I, I put that in the ground and took care of it and worked very hard for it. And then all of the sudden, show, I'll show you the next picture. All of a sudden, this guy showed up. You ever seen one of those before? Okay, well, let me tell you something. I'd never seen one of those before. I lived in that house for, for years, and I'd never seen one of those. I'd played in that backyard for countless hours with, with my kids. I mean, I've sat on the swing in that backyard. I, I've spent a lot of time in that yard and never, ever, ever seen one of those until I planted a garden. There's something there that I want us to catch because I think there's some things that, that we need to see in this and we can apply to our life. I mean, the moment we begin to become fruitful, things show up. The moment we begin to produce, the moment things begin moving in the right direction, things that we'd never seen before, things that always were, were undercover or in another place, who they weren't present, they weren't bothering us, they weren't there, now all of a sudden, there they are. The moment my backyard began to produce things that could nourish, the moment my backyard began to produce things that could feed, the moment my backyard became productive, the moment it became fruitful, that guy showed up. You want to know what he did? He brought friends. And I have no idea how he got there. I mean, I don't know if they've got like, like you know, their own little MySpace or Facebook or, or if they text or call. I mean, who knows how he contacted them, but he brought a lot of buddies. And I mean, I'm serious about that. I mean, scientifically, we can joke about it. I have no idea how they knew what yard to come to, but they did. Whether they could see it or smell it or sense it, or maybe they were always there and they just kept hidden until I became fruitful. But they came and they came in droves. And then they began to multiply. And I began to, to, to try to figure out what can I do. I mean, I put all of this work into this garden. It was beginning to be fruitful. We were starting to enjoy it. Now all of a sudden, it's turning brown. It's withering up. Everything that I want to take a bite of already has a thousand bites taken out of it. All because that guy showed up. And they multiply like mad. I mean, they, they, they lay eggs and they hatch in a matter of hours. And, and they're, they're so tiny you can't even see them. And then the next day you come out and they're full-grown adults. I mean, they multiply like mad. And in just a matter of days, everything that I had labored for, everything that I had worked for, everything that I had waited for, because you know when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't spring up overnight. Everything that I had invested in was gone. When we become fruitful, things come to attack. When, when we finally get things in a place where they're going to produce, there's going to be opposition that we've never seen before, we've never felt before. It comes and it wants to destroy and devour. You can leave that picture up there. That won't distract anybody, will it? I want to give you a passage of Scripture. And I want to build on this concept that we're, we're, we're supposed to be fruitful, but the moment we become fruitful, that fruitfulness comes under attack. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. I mentioned we're going to find how to glorify God or what glorifies God. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 8, it says this. Jesus is speaking and He says, God the Father is glorified by this, that you, that's you, that you bear much fruit. I mean, it glorifies God when we're fruitful. 
It glorifies God when we're successful. I mean, you may have noticed when we were blessing the kids that we substituted the word success for fruitful. I mean, what made that garden successful was that it produced fruit. That's what made it a successful garden. When you could go out into that garden and you could pick the things that you had planted and consume them and eat them, that made it successful. That made it fruitful. So when Jesus is speaking, He reveals to us what glorifies God, what God loves, what He desires, what He wants for each one of us. This glorifies God. That you be successful. That you be fruitful. I mean, it's such a big part of our lives. It's really why we exist as Christians. I mean, I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16. So this is just a few verses away from what we just read. Jesus is speaking, and He's speaking to us as His disciples, and He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. So that tells me that, that God's done two things in our lives as Christians. One, He's chosen you. And two, He's appointed you. But appointed you for what? Chosen you for what? He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and produce fruit. And that your fruit would remain. That you would go and be successful and that your success would remain. I mean, if I were speaking that verse about that garden, I would say, that garden didn't spring up on its own, but I planted it. It didn't choose me, I chose it. That garden was the result of my decision, my choices, my labor. And it was my desire that that garden would produce and that that produce would remain, that it wouldn't be devoured, that it wouldn't be destroyed. Our lives are just like that garden. I mean, we're the result of the hand of God. We're the result of the obedience of Jesus Christ. In our Christianity, if there's no cross and no empty tomb, then there's no Preston Humphreys Christian. There's no Christianity for any of us. And the result of that work isn't meant to be devoured. It's not meant to be stolen away by some unseen enemy. It's meant to be productive, successful, and not be stolen away. It's meant to last. There's a couple of things about what Jesus said that I want to look at because they're important. One, that He chose you. He chose you. He chose me. Do you realize what that means? I mean, if you simply go to the dictionary to look up the word choose, you're going to find some really powerful words. The first definition you'll get is to select freely after consideration. Right? I mean, I've learned as a father now to, to minimize the choices that I give my children, right? Instead of like, hey, which one of these seven bags of chips would you like? It's kind of like, hey, you want Cheetos or you want potato chips? Because I don't have all day. I'm going to give you two choices. And, and, and so that's it. Because you're going to consider them all. That means there's consideration. I mean, when Jesus chose you, that means he thought about it. There's consideration that goes into you being a Christian. And then after thinking about it, freely chosen. That word freely, to select freely, based on that, oh, it's incredible. That means there was no obligation. I mean, if you offered me Cheetos or potato chips, I might tell you, you know what, I, I really just don't like either one of those. I'm not obligated to take one. That means he's not obligated to take your life, but yet he chose to freely. That means he wants you. It means He loves you. And let me tell you something, that is liberating. 
to know that He sees some worth in my life. That He sees some value in my life. That He sees enough worth and enough value that He would give His own life in exchange for mine. That ought to set me free from every depressing, inferior thought about myself that's ever passed through my mind. And it ought to do the same for you. And then He appointed us. Now that's a cool word. I don't want to hang up on it too long, but it means to, in, to, to invest officially or to set in officially. And it even has a religious connotation to set in as a priest. I mean, every time a high priest was put into office, that priest was appointed. Appointed. So you've been chosen and appointed. That means that, that Jesus saw something in you and he, des- he desires it. And then He put it in a position to do something powerful for each one of us. And that thing that He's chosen us and appointed us to do is be fruitful. He obviously sees the potential to be successful in you and 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 in me. And if I left you out, in you. He sees the potential to be successful in each one of us who call upon His name. We're chosen and chosen to be fruitful. I want to tell you a a, a story here in a moment. I want to give you a passage of Scripture first but then I want to get into a piece of history that's meant to give us some instruction. If you have your Bibles, you can look at a passage of Scripture in Isaiah. It's just two passages, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read verses 2, and I want to go through verse 4. I mean, in your Christian life, have you ever felt burdened by something? In your Christian life, have you ever felt oppressed by anything? In your Christian life, have you ever felt like there's an enemy that's pushing against what God has for your life? I have too. And with that being said, I want to look at this passage of Scripture for the purpose of finding out what that pushing back might be, what that oppression might be, what that resistance might be, so that we can understand the Scripture and so that we can do the things that God's called us to do to deal with that burden and that oppression. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, it it reads like this. A people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Well, that's us. I mean, we've become Christians. Everyone who has seen Jesus as the Messiah, this passage applies to them. Those who live in a dark land, light will shine upon them. The nation will multiply and God will increase its gladness. Well, I would like my gladness increased and I would like your gladness increased. And they'll be glad in your presence as with the gladness of The harvest, that's fruitfulness. Success. And then it goes on to say this. For, now anywhere you see the word for, you can substitute the word because. And I think the word because carries a little more weight. We use it more often, right? I mean, if I were to say, man, I hope this guy preaches really fast because I'm hungry, that makes perfect sense to you, right? You could also say, I hope this guy preaches fast for I am hungry. Well, that one just sounds a little stuck up, right? But they mean the same thing, for and because. So you're seeing all of this being spoken and the because comes. We're going to see harvest. We're going to celebrate. Our gladness is going to increase. We're going to see success because. Because God will break the yoke of our our burden and the staff that's on our shoulders off of us. The rod of our oppressor will be broken. And then it goes to say this, as. 
as in the battle of Midian. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Now, as is a funny word. I mean, one of my least favorite classes when I was in school as a kid was English class, but I remember something about the word as. Two words, like and as, are called similes. Does that ring a bell to you? I mean, it's, it's communicating a similarity, that these two things have something in common. So that word as is revealing that God's doing a work in each one of our lives, a work that results in happiness and success, a work that is the liberation from oppression and burdens. And this work is the same as the work done at the Battle of Midian. Now, I know that's a few dots to connect, but for me, that makes me want to understand, what was the Battle of Midian? If you're doing this in my life, if you're doing this in every believer's life, I want to understand what you did at the Battle of Midian so that I can see to it that that's coming to pass in my life for the purpose of knowing gladness and success, for being freed from burden and oppression. If we want to learn about the Battle of Midian, we need to learn about a man in the Scripture named Gideon. I want to talk about that. Now, I want you to read it in your own time. It's just a couple of chapters. I mean, you could read it before bedtime one evening. It's Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. So it's two chapters kind of back to back. That's perfect, right? Because you can read one chapter and then take a break and eat some cookies or something and then go and read the second chapter. I mean, cookies always motivate me, so I'm just trying to motivate you a little bit, right? But I want to tell the story. I just want to kind of paraphrase it. And I'm going to leave out a lot of details that I don't want you to miss. That's why I want you to read it on your own. I want you to see it. I want you to read it. There's some amazing details there. But this man Gideon is living at a time where there's great oppression. And we're talking about the people that God's chosen. Remember, Jesus chose you. He appointed you. So when we're talking about the oppression of God's chosen people, this applies to you and it applies to me. So this oppression is existing. And it's so difficult that people are fearful and they're afraid. This oppression is coming from the Midianites, the people of Midian. And what they're doing is they've taken a page out of that critter's book and they're bringing it to pass. The Word says they wait until Israel plows the ground. And they wait until Israel sows the seed. They wait until Israel does all of the weeding and cultivation. They wait until Israel does all of the irrigation. They wait until it's harvest time. They wait until Israel's done all of the hard work, and then they swoop in and take it. They wait until all of the work is done, and then they come in and take all of the reward. Just like that guy. He waited until that garden was laid out. He waited until all the plants were sown. He waited until all the cultivation was done. He waited until all of the watering was done. And he never offered to pitch in on the water bill, by the way. He waited until everything was ready to eat, and then he came in. God's speaking something to us that happened at Midian. Because this is still happening in the lives of believers, and we need to see what God called Gideon to do so that we can make that same stand in our lives because he's called you to be successful. So these Midianites are coming in and they're raiding. They're raiding at the time of harvest. After all the hard work has been done, they're coming in and they're stealing. 
And everyone is so afraid because their army is fierce and it can't even be numbered. The Bible says that they had so many camels you couldn't even count them. I mean, these guys are, are a fierce fighting force that are just waiting for all the hard work to be done and then they're going to swoop in and take it all. And this has been happening for years. So much so that people have literally dug holes to hide in when they come. Now, when you begin doing things like that, you've pretty much conceded that you're going to just have to deal with this. That we're not going to fight back, whether we're just going to hide and wait it out and hope that it kind of is, is not as bad as last year. And it's so rough that, that Gideon is, is taking care of, of some of the harvest that he's getting early. And he's doing it in hiding. The Bible says that he's threshing wheat in a, a wine press. Everyone look right up here. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. It's not where you do it. The only reason why he would do this is so that no one would see him doing it, so that no one would catch him doing it, so that no one would steal it. And he's doing this in fear and in secret, and he's threshing the wheat, and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears to him. And the angel of the Lord says something great to Gideon. I mean, it's a really powerful statement. You'll see it in verse 12 of chapter 6. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I have to just kind of picture Gideon, right? I mean, he's afraid. He's doing this job in secret. And I, I just have to picture him looking around saying, Me? Are you talking to me? I heard valiant warrior. Now, you know, I'm scared out of my mind and I'm hiding in here. And you want to call me a valiant warrior? Well, see, this is the first thing that we need to do if we're going to see the victory over Midian. We've got to see ourselves as God sees us. That's how God viewed him. Even in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of his, his cowering in this building to do what should have been done outside in the open, God still looked upon him seeing his potential. What he had been designed to do. What he had been called, chosen, and appointed to do, just like you. And it's important that we see ourselves the way God sees us. I've said this before to you, and I want to say it again. How you view yourself is how your enemies will view you. How you view yourself is how your enemies will view you. You'll find it in the Scripture in Numbers chapter 13. You'll find it in verse 33. I mean, you can just see it. It says that these individuals got scared of their enemies and they saw themselves as like bugs in their own eyes and so they became that way in the eyes of their enemies. How you view yourself is how your enemy views you. I want to give you another passage of Scripture out of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinketh, or as a man thinks, so he is. If we view ourselves as defeated, our enemy will see us as defeated. I mean, I know a lot of people that have had a lot of problems in their lives and, and a lot of tremendous suffering that has been the result of problems and situations and circumstances. But when the victory of Jesus Christ enters into our lives, that's how we've got to see ourselves. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm delivered, victorious. I'm holy. In fact, the Bible says that it calls me one of the saints or one of the holy ones. As we see ourselves is how our enemy sees us. So Gideon is encountered by this identity, O valiant warrior. And he's given instruction by the Spirit of God. 
that He's going to deliver His people from the oppression and the burden. So that when they work, when they move in the direction of fruitfulness, it won't be stolen away at harvest time. He's given instruction and told, you'll be the one to deliver. But then He's given steps toward this deliverance. And it it, it starts with, first of all, receiving the identity of being a valiant warrior. He's got to see Himself the way that God sees Him. We need to do that in our own lives. And then He's given this instruction. To eliminate the idols that exist in His life. The Spirit of God tells Him to do this in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. It says, Now on the same night that the Spirit of God spoke to Gideon, He came and he spoke again, saying, Take your father's bull and another bull, and go and tear down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father. He he tells him to tear down all of the idols. Now, I mean, this, this war against Midian has been being lost for years and years. And God is coming and giving instructions. First of all, he's imparting courage, telling us what our potential is. We have the potential to be courageous warriors, valiant warriors. And then he's giving us the first step to victory. Get rid of everything that comes before God. Get rid of all the idols. Idols will always keep us from being successful. There's no doubt about that. I'll give you a passage of scripture. I want you to hear this. Psalm 115 verses 4 through 8. Now, first of all, keep in mind that an idol is anything that you put in front of God. It doesn't have to be some golden statue like you would see in in an adventure movie. It doesn't have to be something even evil or wrong. It can be something good that God made. But if it comes before God, it becomes an idol. And idols will prevent us from being successful because idols make us completely immobile. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. Psalm 115, beginning in verse 4. Idols are the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. Ears, but they cannot hear. A nose, but they cannot smell. Hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. And they have a throat, but they cannot make a sound. And those who make them will become like them and everyone who serves them. When we put anything before God, when we begin to serve idols... We become fruitless. We have hands, but we can't do anything. We have eyes, but we're visionless. We have a mouth, but we don't have a voice. We have ears, but we're deaf. We've got to get the idols out of our lives. So step one in defeating this oppression of Midian was seeing ourselves as valiant warriors. Step two was tearing down all of the idols in our lives. And as Gideon obeyed and responded, He went and did exactly what the Spirit of God told him to. He literally tore down the idol that was in his father's house. Now we're ready for step three. Step three was surround yourself with the right people. I mean, you know that God's called you to be successful. You know that He's called you to be fruitful. One, we have to see that He's chosen us, that He sees our potential, and we need to see it too. Two, we can't put anything in front of God. There can't be idols. Now, three, we need to serve, or I'm sorry, we need to surround ourselves with the right people. Surrounding ourselves with the right people. So this man has been called to deliver an entire nation, a nation who's not known fruitfulness or success in some seven years. That's a long time to not have a harvest. By that time, people are starting to get hungry. You're feeling it. 
And he's called to deliver an entire nation. He's given the instruction that he's a valiant warrior. He's told to tear down all the idols and put God first. And he does all of that. Now he needs to surround himself with the right people. The Bible says that this man steps out. And he gives a call to arms, so to speak. 32,000 men respond. Now I can tell you that, you know, as for me, if, if God had spoken to me and said, hey, you're a valiant warrior and you're going to deliver this nation. And then he asked me to tear down the idols in my life and I responded in obedience. And then he told me to go raise an army and I stepped out and 32,000 men signed up. I'd be feeling pretty tough. I mean, 32,000 people. But God does something. I mean, I'm paraphrasing this, but in short, he basically tells Gideon, hey, you need to surround yourself with the right people. It's not about a bunch of people. It's about the right people. Surround yourself with the right people, or else all of your harvests are going to be stolen away. You're going to work, you're going to work, you're going to sweat, you're going to labor, and then come harvest time, it's all gone. Now you've listened to me on your identity. You've obeyed me in getting rid of the idols. Now, son, surround yourself with the right people. So Gideon stands up in front of his 32,000-man army. And he says, guys, I need to surround myself with the right people. Now, remember, I'm paraphrasing. Now, we're about to go to war, so is anyone here afraid? If you're afraid, I just want you to raise your hand. 22,000 men raise their hand. 22,000. I mean, two-thirds of his army is scared out of their mind. You know what he tells them? Go home. Go home. I'm going to surround myself with the right people. I'd rather have 10,000 men who aren't afraid than 32,000 where most of them are scared out of their mind. So now he's standing there with 10,000. And I'm sure at this point, you know, he's... he's feeling a little less confident in the size of his army, but more confident in the effectiveness of his army. And God still says, son, you need to surround yourself with the right people. These aren't all the right guys. You want to be successful. You want to know the harvest that you've worked for. You've got to surround yourself with the right people. He shows him what to do. And 10,000 men turn into 300 men. He's surrounded with the right people. Now, for me and for you, God's called us to be successful. He's anointed us to be successful. He's chosen us and appointed us to be successful. But we need to be like Gideon, where one, we see that in our own eyes, just like he sees us, where we're willing to put God first and not have any idols. And then we need to be just like Gideon and surround ourselves with the right people. I, I know a lot of people. I mean, I do things out in the city and in town, and I've got a lot of acquaintances, but I really only have a few friends. Those relationships are, are mostly right here in the church because I believe that this is my community, that I, I, I celebrate things in, that I, I, I receive help and assistance as I, I walk through what life's challenges in. This is my, my family. This is where those relationships exist. I'm committed to surrounding myself with the right people because I want to be successful. I want to give you a passage of Scripture that might shock your ears a little bit. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Now, you probably won't see this posted on Facebook, okay? Proverbs 18, 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. In a culture that wants to collect friends by the thousands, 
that would have loved to have had Gideon's 32,000 followers. I got 32,000 likes on my call to go destroy Midian. A man of many friends comes to ruin. We need to take that to heart and understand what it means. I mean, having a lot of relationships is no substitute for having a few friends. When we are in need, when there's a time or a trial, we need to have people around us that we can fall back on, that we can trust, that we know will have our back. And it's impossible to have strong friendship with hundreds or thousands of people. You don't have enough time in the day to sustain that many relationships. I mean, look at Jesus. Jesus ministered to thousands upon thousands upon thousands, but he spent time with twelve. Our lives are really designed that same way. We have a limited capacity in our friendship. And those relationships are meant to be quality. If we're going to see the harvests that we've labored for, God's calling us to be just like Gideon. See ourselves as he sees us. Get rid of the idols in our life and put God first. And then surround ourselves with the right people. Now once Gideon has done these things, as he's stepping out to defeat Midian, so that the people can get the harvest that they've worked for. There's one last thing that he does that we need to make a note of. It's how he fights his enemy. So he's seen himself as God sees him. He's eliminated the idols that once came before God, and now God comes first. He's surrounded himself with the right people, and now here's how he fought his battle. He exposed his enemy to light. The Bible says that, that it records it. It's history. It's not made up. I mean, this is recorded in history the same way the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan have been recorded in history. This battle really happened. The history gives account of how it happened. Gideon took his men and he separated them into groups. And he had them surround the camp of Midian. And he sent them with something. He sent them with a shofar. I mean, your Bibles probably say a trumpet, but it's a horn that you would blow, and it makes a sound like... It almost sounds like it should be followed by, this is a test. Yeah. He sent them with the shofar, and then he sent them with a clay pitcher, and the clay pitcher contained a torch, a light. I mean, this is before the day of flashlights and batteries. These guys were carrying a flame. And they surrounded the camp, and in the, at the right moment, when the right moment was revealed, there was a shout, the trumpet blew, and everyone took their clay pot that contained their torch, and they smashed it, and all of a sudden, the entire camp was surrounded by light. Surrounded by light. I want us to think about that. When something is surrounded, it means there's no way out. Sometimes the things that we deal with, the things that are in our minds or in our lives that keep us in bondage, that keep our harvest stolen away, all they need to escape and come back another day is one back door. We've got to surround our enemies with light. Now when Gideon did this, the camp that was there, all the Midianites, they were so afraid that they had been surrounded that confusion set in and they began to slay themselves. They ran and they fled. It was a total victory for the people of Israel. 
And our lives are called to be a total victory over Midian as well. Because God's not just called us to work and toil and slave. He's called us to produce a harvest. To not have that harvest stolen away. I want to give you a passage concerning light. And why we need to celebrate light in our lives. To see victory over our enemies. Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, I just encourage you to read the whole chapter at some point this week. But Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to see beginning in verse 11. It's this call, a call that we're meant to respond to. Don't participate in unfruitful deeds. Did you hear unfruitful? Yeah, see, we're looking for fruitful, not unfruitful. Don't don't participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Did you hear that part? Instead, even expose them. It goes on to say this. As we expose those things with light, all things become visible when they're exposed by light. And then I want you to hear this last part because it's very important. And everything that becomes visible is light. In my life, that tells me something. That there are things that are keeping my life from being successful. There are things that would keep me unfruitful. Things that are done in secret or darkness. Things that I'm not proud of. Things that I'm embarrassed by or ashamed of. But if I continue to let embarrassment keep those things in the dark, those things will continue to steal my harvest every season. But if I want to defeat them, if I want to break the rod of Midian like we're looking at here in the Scripture, if I want to follow in the steps that God's revealed for me to follow through His servant Gideon, it's going to require surrounding my enemy with light. I won't get it any shadow. I won't give it any place to hide. I won't give it any back door to run. But I'm going to surround it with light. You and I can do that through the power of confession. Confessing our sins one to another. We can do that in the ways that God's called us to do it so that there's no room for something to remain hidden in shame or darkness or shadow or secret to continue to steal from our families. And then the beautiful thing is the promise of Scripture. Once you've exposed it to light, once it's been revealed by the light, it becomes light. I mean, we sang a song that we'll overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I've got news for you. My testimony is a bunch of stuff that used to be in darkness. Drunkenness is a a dark work. Immorality and lust is a dark work. Violence and anger is a dark work. Greed is a dark work. Theft and murder is a dark work. And all of this darkness exists in that shadow, but once it gets exposed to light, it becomes your testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus set me free from, because Jesus is bigger than murder. He's bigger than stealing. He's bigger than lust. He's bigger than immorality. He's bigger than all of the corruption that steals the harvest from God's people. His mercy, His grace, His power and authority is greater. Greater is He who is in me than he who's in the world. Greater is he who's in you. We've got to expose these things with light. And what you have to ask yourself isn't a matter of what are people going to think of me. If I were to tell them the truth about my actions and my thoughts, what will they think of me? Will they, they'll think less of me. They'll, they'll, they'll think I'm gross. They'll think that I'm, I'm terrible. That's not the question that we need to be asking. 
The thoughts that we need to be having are recalling what's at stake. Every harvest for the rest of my life is at stake. Every harvest that will sustain my children is at stake. Every harvest that will make my marriage to be uh, fruitful and, and joyful is at stake. Every harvest that will benefit the people of God is at stake. All of the work is coming no matter what. All of the sweat is coming no matter what. The question is, do I want to enjoy the success or not? That's what's at stake. Are we willing to surround our enemies with light? Are we willing to expose them with light? And then are we willing to let them become light and be a part of our testimony? And it's this light in the end that leads to fruitfulness. You saw the steps that God gave Gideon. One, he gave him an identity as a powerful warrior, a courageous, valiant warrior. Then he let him know that nothing else could come first. The idols have to go. And he called him to surround himself with all of the right people. And then he instructed him to completely surround his enemies with light and expose them to light. And it's that light that led to fruitfulness. I'll give you a passage of Scripture as we close. Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9. It's a verse about us. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord Jesus. So walk as children of the light. Because the fruit of light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Did you hear the word fruit in there? It's what light produces. And it's what brings success. Victory over all of those things that want to devour our harvests. I know that God's called you all to great harvests. To have a great harvest in your marriage, to have a great harvest in your family, a great harvest in your ministry, a great harvest in your business, a great harvest. He's called you to a great harvest. And many of us in this room have been willing to do all of the hard work. But we, we are aware we can relate to seeing all of that hard work be for nothing when it's all stolen away in the end and there's nothing to show for it. God's promise is to deal with that spirit of Midian, that oppressor, that one that comes in and takes when it's harvest time. And through Gideon, he's given us the examples to do so. And I want to pray and believe God to apply those things to my life and believe God to see them applied to your life, to see to it that that rod of our oppressor, Midian, would be shattered off of our back. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Can you change that back to the first picture? I want to pray and trust and believe God to do something. Because I know, for me, when I work hard and I labor and then I don't get the results of that, it's frustrating to me. When I do the things that are required to see success and I don't see the success, it becomes a frustration. In fact, many people will even walk away from their marriage or walk away from their business or walk away from their ministry or walk away from their Christianity because they think that they did everything they were supposed to do and got no results, therefore it doesn't work. The truth is it does work. The question is, are we seeing what God's calling us to do? Just like he would give Gideon instruction. A man who obviously 
wasn't exceptional in any way because he was afraid just like everyone else. But yet God could take him and reveal to him his potential. The same way he's revealed to you your potential by saying, I have chosen you. I have appointed you. And then he can lead him and guide him to get rid of everything that comes first, to tear down every idol. God can do that in our lives. Everything that comes before God, he can show us and reveal it. Not to make us ashamed or feel guilty, but to give us the courage and the strength to go remove those things and put God first. God can instruct us the right people to be around so that we don't surround ourselves with the people that are going to bring us down, but we surround ourselves with the people that will build us up. And through Jesus, God has given us light so that we can surround our enemies, all of those that oppress, every temptation, all that is evil, every bondage, every affliction, we can surround it with light, not giving it any shadow. So that it's exposed. And once it's exposed, it becomes light itself, part of our testimony. I want to take those things. I want to apply those things to my life for the purpose of having the harvest that I've worked for. I want to trust God for those things to take root in your heart. I know you've worked hard. And to see a harvest stolen away in the last minute is to open the door for depression and heartache. And we're called to be successful and joyful. I want to pray and we're going to dismiss. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in agreement. You're welcome to, to pray yourself if you like. But I want to trust that God will do a work in us, that we'll take what we've received this morning and apply it in its proper way to see a harvest in our lives. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for that you've called us and that you've appointed us to be successful and fruitful. We thank you that you've delivered us and brought us to this point right here and now. Let our lives not be given to labor without fruit. But let us bring you honor and glory by being fruitful and establishing fruit that will remain everywhere that we go. Open our eyes to see what you've done for your servants in the past and let it be understood that you're still doing the same for your servants today. I ask now in Jesus' name, will you reveal to us the potential, the call, the anointing that you've placed upon each one of us as we've responded to your call, called upon your name, been born again into your kingdom. Let there be no room for any inferior or fearful thought, but just as you would speak to your son Gideon, identifying him as a valiant warrior, let that identity be revealed and come upon each of us here that we would no longer be ruled by fear. And upon overcoming fear, let the courage to tear down every idol. Let it come upon us and let it be celebrated and put to, put to work, put to practice, that anything that would come before you would be removed, that you would come first, that your word would become our instruction, that we would carry out your instruction with obedience in anticipation of the fulfillment of all of your promises, but that nothing else would come first. Let us not put our trust anywhere else but in you. And will you lead us and guide us to surround ourselves with the right people? 
that if there be any uh, intruder, if there be anyone that is planted, that has fear that would lead again to bondage, that that person would be separated, set apart, not rejected and resented, but that we would indeed surround ourselves with those who can build us up, help us, and lead us into the place that we should go. And we ask for light to prevail. That anywhere there's darkness in our mind or in our heart, let there be a desire and an urgency to confess our sin, to surround that affliction with light. That there be no room for any shadow, no place for any hiding, but that which would once have existed in darkness, in shame and secrecy, let it be exposed in light and let it become a source of joy and celebration that we would identify your deliverance as making that part of our testimony. And we bless your name and we give you thanks. Let these things lead us to a place where every harvest is not stolen away, but that it's embraced, celebrated, distributed, that it would nourish many. Let our lives be given to producing, to being successful, to bringing you honor and glory by bearing the fruit that you've called us to bring. We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.